Memorial Day isn't far away, so of course that means break out the grills and smokers and basting brushes. It's gonna be barbecue time. Dig out those side dish recipes and get your flavor profile ideas working. Overlords be damned, it's gonna be a great Q summer. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 138. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Vegetable beef, chili, and charlie bread. Pages 128 and 131, respectively, in my cookbook make a fine dinner, but also a perfect lunch for the next day. Pick up your copy of Cooking for Comfort at culinarylibertarian.com slash cookingforcomfort or on Amazon. My guest today is Jonathan Reed, no relation. John recently earned a certificate for completing a course he took, and it is this course and the subject which caught my attention. With Memorial Day upcoming, and that being the unofficial launch of outdoor cooking, I think you'll see why John's accomplishment is so timely. Hello, John. Thanks for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I've been Awaiting, counting the minutes till I could get on here. <laughs> One, two. Uh, before we get going here, I invited you on. We're going to talk uh, barbecue, which is perfect because we're coming up on, you know, Memorial Day and summer and meat. Although if Biden mm-hmm. has his way, well, that's another story. But that's another episode. Uh, give us a quick little bit of a bio about yourself and then about... Uh, the course you recently completed, which was the thing I saw that got me to talk to you about this in the first place. Yeah, so uh, what I like to tell people is that I grew up um, with my mother basically cooking food that she seemed to put through the deflavorizing machine. Now, that it's it's really not fair because I was a picky eater, so she would just get me to uh, eat anything that I could, that I wanted to eat, which wasn't a lot, I have to say. Um, It was steak that she basically made well done, which now I find the idea abhorrent. Um, Chicken, uh, pizza, that sort of thing, just all the... Back then it was the 1970s, so children really didn't get fat back then, so um, it wasn't really a problem. But as I got out on my own and discovered, had to cook for myself... You know, I discovered that I wanted to make things that I really enjoyed, and I just got in more into cooking. I would just go online and get recipes, and I would find anything that looked really good and, you know, make it. And then, you know, fast forward to a few years ago, uh, my fiance now had bought me a smoker, and because we really liked, we enjoyed going out to barbecue restaurants. Um, didn't do it frequently, but um, I was always intrigued by the idea of smoking meat. So she got me a smoker, but it was a propane smoker. Um, after about a year and a half, the thing just kind of crapped out on us. It wouldn't light. 
So I got another smoker, which was also a propane smoker. And after about a year, that also had the same problem. So I decided, well, I really liked smoking meat, although the propane smoker didn't want me to, didn't make me want to do it very frequently. So I researched my options and I found, you know, the charcoal smoke smoking, like using charcoal and wood. And um, eventually I discovered what the smoker I have now, which is the Weber Smoky Mountain. And ever since I started using that, it's basically been every weekend I'm smoking. And if it's, if the weather is not cooperative to the uh, act activity of smoking, then I am, I really have a visceral reaction. Like if I see that forecast and it's raining on Saturday and Sunday, I get really pissed off. So uh, basically, I just, yeah, just over the past year, especially with COVID, um, especially with not being able to go out to restaurants, I really found that, you know, I, I found myself experimenting more with different kinds of meats, um, different kinds of foods on the on the smoker, and really just become a barbecue enthusiast. Um, and I guess leading up to what you were talking about at the end there, I recently you know, I, I, my journey has taken me on to learning more and more about barbecue and learning more about the resources. I, I signed up for, you know, like an online video course. And then I came across, I started watching Barbecue Pitmasters, this show that was on from about 2009, I think, till 2016. And one of the judges in the show was, his name is Myron Mixon. And he's hailed as the winningest barbecue pitmaster in America. He's like a four-time world champion. And he has a barbecue cooking school down in his hometown of Unadilla, Georgia. I think I'm saying that right. Um, so I was really intrigued and I really wanted to attend it. So I signed up for the first available slot that what that, that was open. And that was um that was about a week and a half ago, the weekend of the 16th. And uh, yeah, so he basically went over a lot of things like how to do whole hog, how to do uh, ribs, brisket, chicken, pork butt, um, all the basic things that a competition barbecue pit master would have to do in a in a contest. Um, and I can go more into into more about the competition barbecue style, but I'll stop there and let you take the reins. All right. Well, yeah, that's basically the thing. So I I had a moment there to clarify because I, I think everybody who sees a grill, propane or charcoal, isn't barbecuing. And mm -hmm. you that it isn't a point it isn't to bring up a point of contention because it could be like Miami Airport and coming to blows, but it's really just the point to make that if you've, ever, if you've ever seen the movie Fried Green Tomatoes, that is barbecue. Mm -hmm. What you do with Kingsford coal and a Weber grill is, is well, <laughs> it's badly grilling, but it's grilling nonetheless, not barbecuing. And that's whether maybe we can make the distinction as we get rolling here, what is the difference there? But let's talk for a minute about competition level barbecue and part of and. We exchanged a few ideas before. Uh, you said one of the, th probably just like anything else, part of winning is playing to the judges, knowing who your judges are. 
knowing what your judge's preferences are going to be for tastes and for texture. Uh, so you may, the one thing I want to learn about in, is about texture from a pitmaster preference. For myself, when I'm doing either, either smoking or barbecuing or even braising, uh, say I'm doing an asabuco, I want fall off the bone tender. I want it to nearly melt in my mouth. And you're saying that that may not get you very far at competition level. What's what's the difference there? What's happening? Yeah, so I, I do agree with you. Um, I do like my pork ribs, like basically melt in my mouth, fall off the bone uh, texture. But yeah, you're, to your point, the judges in a, in a competition barbecue um, will look for tender, but not fall off the bone. Like if when they pick up a pork rib and they bite into it, they want to be they want it to be tender, but they want it to have just a little bit of tug, like it make them work just a little bit to get the meat off the bone with their teeth. And it's it's kind of it might be counterintuitive to somebody like you and me who really enjoy like you know basically you pick up the rib and the 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 meat could potentially fall off the bone right right then and there um but yeah it is there's a certain texture there's uh for brisket for example if you pull it apart it can't it can't just like come apart easily it has to again have that little tug where you have to let just work at it just a little bit um and that's what they're looking for they're looking for taste and texture and the texture has to be spot on uh, because they apparently they all take a class, like a one day course to become certified. Um, and that qualifies them to judge barbecues. So if you, it's interesting, if you watch the first season of Barbecue Pitmasters, um, it's more like a documentary style. But then the rest of the seasons, they turned it more into like a Top Chef kind of competition kind of kind of show. But the first one, they explain if the people, if the contestants didn't do well, it's probably because they didn't make the meat sweet enough. They didn't make it, they made it too tender or they made it too tough. It has to be just that perfect consistency that they're all trained to look for. And it could, you know, it, like I said, it's a very specific style and it might not be your style, might not be my style, but it's, it's what they're judged on so that there is some measure of consistency when it comes to what we're grading everybody on, you know, you might like personally, you might like somebody's flavor profiles better than what you're trained to look for, but you're trained to look for those certain profiles in competition barbecue. So if somebody isn't meeting that criteria, then you have to deduct points or um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really specific in, in what they're looking for and what they're trained to judge you on. Is there an, a body that oversees competition barbecue and has established this idea? Just occurred to me that there's that there's a government for barbecuing competitions, and and they have. And is, is there such a thing like that? I think that, and I'm excuse me, I'm typing in right now. I'm doing like a little Google search. But there are different competitions um, across the country. You know, the, actually, there's one 
not too far away from where I live in, in Dover, Delaware. And I think they have a, a different criteria. I think it's pretty consistent in overall flavor profiles. Um, they're not looking for you to stand out necessarily. They just want you to have the most perfect kind of barbecue underneath the, the competition kind of criteria. But I'm looking at the most famous um, organization is the Kansas City Barbecue Society. So if you hear a KCBS competition, that's that's where it comes from. And that's what a lot of the, the judges are, where a lot of the judges are trained and where they get, uh, you know, where they're taught to look for uh, certain criteria in order to judge uh, good barbecue in their eyes to the standards that KCBS has set for them. All right. So the people who are going into these competitions, even if their preference is pull the rib bone and the meat stays on the plate and the bone comes off in your hand, even if that's what they mm -hmm. really, really want, they're mm -hmm. entering into a competition voluntarily, or at least doing this, they're not coerced, as they are agreeing to these terms of this competition, and the terms are the meat has to have a little bit of a fight back. Yeah. And... Yeah, in the, in the first episode, the first season of Barbecue Pit Masters, after a few episodes, there's one contestant named Harry Sue. He's a, an Asian-American uh, barbecue competition barbecue guy. Um, he talks about why he scored so low in the previous barbecue competition. And he said that one of the notes he got is that his meat wasn't sweet enough. His pork was not sweet enough. And so he knew he. He comments, he said, well, this isn't this isn't what I like in barbecue, but, you know, I have to play to the judges. So I'm I'm making a, uh, an injection here that's basically high in sugar. It's basically like candy. And I'm injecting it into my my pork butt and my ribs. And hopefully this will this will appeal to the judges and get me a higher score this time in the competition. So it's they're very conscious of what the judges are looking for and even if it's not their personal style how they may have to adjust in order to get a high score and there is money involved so they have to they really are playing so that they can they can earn money either to break even with the costs of traveling and buying meat and, and competing in the barbecue or the competition or uh you know making a profit off of it i would imagine some of them probably do that as a full-time income mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, Myron is a good example. I think that, you know, the more you win, the more people obviously are attracted to you. They want to learn more about you. So um, your his his business is called Jack's Old South. Jack is his, is his father, so that's where he named the business off of. Um, and he, you know, if you go to his website, MyronMixon.com, he sells all this merchandise. So he... Now he, because he's famous, he can sell all these rubs and he can sell his, his cooking school and he can sell, you know, apparel and, and, uh, certain types of tools that, you know, uh, would allow you to cook like Myron Mixon. Right. And so obviously the more money you win, the more trophies you get, the, the more famous you become and the more you can start to market your brand and make money off of selling whatever rubs or sauces yeah. or, or what have you. Oh, I mean, that probably makes sense. Although I, I laugh at the, it's, it's the, the old, you and I old enough to remember the, the Mick Mars, it's got to be the shoes, man. Well, it, you know, <laughs> it isn't, 
the spatula. I promise you it's not the spatula, but go right. ahead and spend the money on it if you want to. Indeed. All right. I mean, what, like one of the, I'm sorry, like one of the things that, you know, of course, I was in a class down when I was in Georgia about of about 60 or 70 people, I'd say. And of course, you just get all swept up because Myron is a really good marketer. Um, while he's you know demonstrating his methods, his techniques, his recipes, he'll say, you know, because one of his signature dishes is the cupcake chicken thighs, where he molds chicken thighs inside of a cupcake uh, um, kind of mold. And he happens to have his own cupcake mold that is specifically designed for making these these cupcake chicken thighs. So he's constantly, well, even while he's demonstrating, it's like, and you can get these at our at our stand over there for however twenty two dollars or whatever it costs, and so he he has learned to be very good, very personable, and very um, very good at marketing his brand and marketing his products. Because we again, if you go back to watch the first season of Barbecue Pitmasters, he's very surly, he's very you know uh, standoffish, but you can tell that the more he, the more famous he got, the more people spoke in his ear about, "Hey, you, you, you got to be more likable. You got to be more personable, and people will start to like you more. They'll want to learn more from you, and the, the more they learn from you, the more, more they're going to buy your products." So he's really, he's really gotten good over the last however many years at at honing his marketing skills and and promoting himself as a brand. Interesting. Well, now yeah. I want to go check it out just to see this transformation. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think everybody knows, and certainly anybody who smokes or cues knows, is the, the mantra of low and slow. Now there's, mm -hmm. so so managing, managing your heat, and just as a cook, I can tell you that this is critical for getting the best out of your meat. Mm -hmm. But now there's, there are other ways to affect the texture of the meat. And one of those ways is by, well, in the cook world, we call it adultering. We would either do brining it, which is at its basic, a, a solution, water solution of salt and sugar. Um, there's a, and you can talk about the school of thought that is put a flavor in there, does it make a difference? Uh, if you're not brining, you can do dry rubs. Some people call them dry brines, which <laughs> I think is, I think it's an idiotic phrase, but I know that there's a whole world around it, but it's, it's a dry rub, uh, which then can have uh, dried spices and either dry or fresh herbs into it. And I use that for uh, like a pastrami cure. But these things alter the composition of the meat to our favor. It does a few things for managing pathogens because now we have a low and slow heat. We want to make sure that the bugs are not going to make us sick, which is a bonus. We don't want that. So talk a little bit about brines and dry rubs and what we can expect to have happen with that added to our meat in the low and slow. So it's, yeah, well, first of all, the low and slow and the hot and fast. Um, Myron is a hot and fast guy. You know, the when I first learned about barbecue, you know, the brisket, depending on the size of it, was going to take you anywhere from eight to 10 hours. And it did because I was doing low and slow. That was like the first cookbook I got. I did a brisket low and slow. Uh, there's something that occurs when you do it that way called temperature stall. 
in which the brisket will get up to 175 degrees and it'll stay there for about an hour. And the first time that happens to you, you get really scared. Like you really don't understand why the temperature as steadily as it's been rising all this time, it suddenly just stopped and is not going any higher, not one degree. And what's, what's happening is that the moisture is leaving the meat. And the more it does, like as it's leaving the meat, at, at, for some reason at that particular temperature, it starts to cool the inside of the meat. So until all that moisture gets out of there, uh, it stays at 175 degrees because that's where basically that moisture is, is making it stick. But regardless, um, Myron is hot and fast. And his the reason he said he was hot and fast is basically because why would I want to wait 10 hours for a brisket when I could cook it in, in five hours or six hours? Um, you know, his, his tenderness doesn't suffer anymore. He injects it. He rubs it. Um, he doesn't brine the brisket, but you know he does inject it to make sure it gets it gets a certain a certain kind of tenderness and a certain kind of level of moisture. Um, so it's it doesn't seem to affect his cooking at all. People seem to be very pleased, and it, I tasted it, it was delicious. Um, as far as brining goes, he really only does that for the chicken and the turkey. Um, he makes a signature brine that you prepare about two days in advance to let all the flavors, you know, soak into the, to the water and then you strain it. And then you, whatever you're brining, let's say it's the Turkey, the will you, you brine that overnight or you, or a whole chicken, uh, the thighs or the legs you brine for an hour or two. Um, but what that's supposed to do is not only impart flavor into the meat, but also keep it moist. So rather than just, taking a chicken out of its plastic and, and throwing it on the smoker, it might be a little drier than if you soak it in into a brine for however long, like six hours or overnight. Um, so that's, that's the purpose of it. As far as the rubs go, those are to impart, you know, a certain kind of flavor to it. Now there's what he usually does as, as an example, like for the pork ribs, he puts on a, like a, a hot rub, something that's got a little heat on it, not, not layered it on, like not thickened it on, but just a little bit, a light, light coat on there. And then he'll uh, put his own signature barbecue rub on it, that's, which has, a, of course, because it's competition, it has a little sweetness to it. So that ultimately when it's done and you're ready to bite into it, you get the sweetness first but then you get the heat at the at the back of it. So it's it's really meant to take you on kind of like a flavor journey of like sweet first, tender meat, then a heat, a kind of heat element at the back of it as as it's going down your throat. So it's it's really scientific. It's it's really an art actually to and that's what really appeals to me is kind of um figuring out ways to manipulate different flavor profiles so that when you actually eat the, the the meat, then you have a different experience every time, depending on what kind of rubs you're using, whether it's smoky or sweet or hot, what have you. Right. Well, and so that, that kind of gets into the area. Once somebody has the basic mm -hmm. skills down and understanding of, of what we're doing and uh, either rubbing or brining, 
the real the kind of the, the money area is that flavor mix and what are we going to do and now there's just the world the possibilities is immense and so you can and we didn't really even discuss things like acid yet which will denature now acid's a weird thing mm-hmm. uh, marinating marinating meat it, it does the intended effect of imparting flavor. It has the unintended consequence of drying out the meat. And people say, well, why is that the case? Because acid is drawing the moisture out of the meat and it's not putting it back in, which a brine will do. The, 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 the sugar and the salt get into the cells of the meat and retain moisture, whereas the acid just breaks down the, the protein and loses moisture. So there's... There's advantages, there's reasons to use acid, but there's also reasons to avoid it. Uh, but between all of the dried spices and dried herbs, and the, between sugar, brown sugar, light brown sugar, how many different kinds of honeys can you think of? Um, I'm curious, did you see anybody using um, keto-style sugars, the stevia things? No, but it's it's... Ironic because uh, Myron does have a cookbook coming out in May. I think it comes out May twentieth. That is uh, keto barbecue nice. style. So because he he told the story in two thousand eighteen, he went to his doctor and said, "You got to lose weight because your you know your joints are are suffering and your your overall health is going to suffer." He was three hundred and forty eight pounds when his doc told him that and. He said, well, you know, I'm a barbecue guy. Like, what am I going to do? You know, barbecue guys are fat. And so that's that's the cuisine that we're that we that we have chosen. So what am I going to do? And he said, well, I think keto could actually be a good uh, alternative for you because you could still enjoy all the meats that you enjoy, but you could cook them in ways that are more healthy or that are healthier for you. And he looked into it and he talked about this. Because, you know, I, you know, I'm 50 years, almost 50 years old, and I just don't lose weight as easily as I used to when I was, when I was in my 20s. So it's, and I got a wedding coming up. So it's, it's kind of, I'm kind of looking to lose weight, but I don't want to stop cooking barbecues. So I am really interested in what he, he does to mimic the kind of flavors that he would do normally. For instance, the rubs that he was talking about, uh, a lot of them had brown sugar in it. And the brine, the hog, the whole hog brine had, you know, it made five gallons, but it had like a few pounds of sugar in it, like white sugar. So I was really interested, well, what do you do as an alternative? And for the brown sugar, he said, well, you could do monk fruit extract. And for the, 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 the white sugar, it's, you know, stevia. Uh, that and those sorts of products so it's just it's just really a matter of figuring out the sugar to stevia translation as far as how much you would have to add to the same amount of to make the same amount of brine or the ex, uh, the monk fruit extract to dark brown sugar ratio that you would have to add to a certain rub to make it sweet but not fattening right yeah you know, that sort of thing and and actually myron uh, since 2018, has lost 100 pounds. So it's really that style of cooking has really benefited benefited him, and 
you know, he's not one who still doesn't enjoy his barbecue. He just does it a little healthier and a little more, a little smarter. Uh, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it. Is he using these things in the rubs and how does it caramelize when it's cooked? I don't, I don't think he use it for, uses it for his, his commercial rubs, like the ones that you could go on his website and buy uh, either that or his sauces. Um, I don't know. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you could use monk fruit extract, but it's not going to, it's not going to have the same kind of texture. It's not going right. to glaze up when you, when you put it on the, on the smoker for the, for the last few minutes and the same thing with the stevia. So it's something I'd probably have to experiment with to see if, if you can achieve it. Um, what I really care about is the, the flavor profiles. Um, if I, if I feel like having a sweet rib or sweet pork meat, then I'm really interested in, in, in using stevia rather than brown sugar or white sugar. Um, so the glazing part, I'm willing to, if it's not perfect, I'm willing to sacrifice it in order to save myself some calories down the road. Right. Um, is there, this is, this is a, I'm trying to find a blanket answer to a very broad question. Is there such a thing as a basic ratio of say sweetener, we'll call it sweetener to flavor to a liquid for if we're doing brine or or for the you were talking about the uh, sprinkle the uh, the heat rub on. So is there what I mean? I just there there's there's so many possibilities. It's a hard question to ask. But what would be? I guess maybe the question is what would be some good flavor profiles for say beef or chicken or pork? Thinking also about since people aren't just doing meat for dinner, they have accompaniments. They may have mm -hmm. coleslaw, potato salad, or nuda salad, or corn on the cob. How can they think about flavor profiles and, and compatibility or contrast as they're building this? Do we want to have cayenne? Do we want to go with like dried scotch bonnets? Or mm -hmm. um, what's what, what's a good combination of things to think about for? Summer, summer queuing. Yeah, so I'm certainly not an expert. I pretty much how I how I like to start out as because I'm so inexperienced at you know culinary education. Uh, you know, I I really read recipes according to what I think I would like, and if I think that there are modifications I can make to the recipe, um, I will I will do that. Um, just this past weekend, I reverse me I smoked then reverse seared uh, a tri-tip steak. And what I basically did is that, you know, for, for regular steak, all I'll do is just do a heavy dose of kosher salt and pepper and maybe some garlic too. Um, but for the tri-tip steak, I wanted to try something a little more and part a little more flavor. So in addition to the salt, the pepper, and the garlic, I added, uh, you know, herb de Provence and a bit of cayenne pepper because I do enjoy an herbiness and a little bit of heat to my red meat. So it turned out really well. You know, I, I probably would have lightened up on the cayenne pepper a little bit, but that's, that's kind of my style. Yeah, um, Aaron Franklin, he's a barbecue pit master and he's, uh, I think he's got rated the best barbecue guy in Texas. So 
one of the things that he does, if you watch any of his shows or any of his videos, he's extremely adver averse to measurements like tablespoons and cups of and things like that. He just, he just basically his philosophy is like, put it on until you feel that, you know, it's, it's going to make you happy and you know, it's just food. So don't, don't think overthink it. And that's just kind of his, it's kind of the opposite of my style where I, I really like to have a very good foundation of what I'm doing first before I start to experiment in changing up the recipe, adding cayenne pepper or adding a little bit more garlic powder or whatever, onion flakes to it or whatever. Um, so that's where two different styles, but that's where I'm coming from is in my amateur kind of style. That's a very hotline cook mentality of just just put it on so you feel like it's good. Yeah, that's that's not a baker's mentality. <laughs> no bake, whatever. Ah, uh, we're making muffins. Ah, just put some baking powder in there. Put some put as much as you want. Well, baking's more of a science, though, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no yeah. doubt about it. It is it, yeah. it it is unforgiving to the willy nilly. Uh, all right. So you mentioned tri-tip is uh, is kind of the unofficial cut of meat here in the southern part of Oregon, and I just did one the other day. Uh, oh, uh, so I want to. This reminds me to ask you what what are your recommendations, or what does Myron say about letting the meat rest once it's reached temperature? How long is the right amount of time to sit before you cut into that? So for brisket, I know that you want to wrap it in butcher paper or foil, preferably butcher paper, and then stick it in a sealable cooler um, for about two to four hours. And that'll basically allow the, you know, the, the, the meat to render all the fat, render the, continue to render the fat, that is, um, keeping the moisture in, uh, retaining a little bit of of heat to it so that it's not ice cold when you take it out. He's two to four hours. He recommended, and I've done that. I, I've actually kept a brisket in a cooler for about five hours because it, it finished a lot sooner than I thought it was going to finish. Um, but it was still great. Um, as far as the other meats like pork ribs, chicken, probably want to rest that about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And that's all you really need. Just kind of get it, to room temperature, make sure it it gets the the moisture that it retains the moisture that you want in that in that meat. But brisket is the only one you probably want to want to wrap and rest for an extended period of time. Now that's going to probably strike a lot of people as a big surprise because this mm -hmm. is, I think, a lot of people visualize. Uh, I've got my whatever my cooking device is out and my brisket's done and. We're saying <laughs> it's not let's eat, come back in five hours. Yeah. I think that's I, so there's a lot of planning, especially if you're doing brisket. There's a there's some there's there's a plan that needs to be made. This isn't just go and do. Yep. This is this is a this is an effort. This is a determined thing. Uh for your tri tip, how long did you let that rest? I let it rest for about fifteen minutes. Yeah, I've discovered that of all of the steak meats that one needs longer than you think. And yeah. it's, it's your patience 
will be rewarded. I promise you, as long even even wait half an hour for a tri-tip, I know that sounds insane. Your mouth will thank you for waiting that long because it's it's a funky piece of meat, but my God, is it good. Yeah, I'm usually impatient, but I've learned to to have more patience when it comes to very quality meats that I've that I've cooked and uh, want to make sure it's is as good as possible before I serve it to my family. So have you gotten to the point where you see uh, wherever they would be seen, Twitter or TV or something, you see somebody cutting into meat and then there's just this pool of blood and you get kind of mad? Uh, I don't get too mad at the pool of blood thing because I love my red meat. No, but the people didn't wait long enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 right, exactly. What are you doing? Yeah, and especially, you know, the tri-chip I learned – you just can't cut into it. You have to, because there's two ways that the grains go. Yes. There's like diagonally and then there's a cross on the top. And you have to be very methodical about how you it's a change cut in one life. way and then you have to cut yeah. the other. Yep, it's, against it's, the green. It will surprise you. You get about halfway through it and everything's different. Like, what happened? Yeah. Yeah, tri-chip is a, yeah, man, is it good. Oh, my gosh. Such a good piece of meat. If you can find it, um, yeah, a I noticed it here. We went and bought, well, this, the local butcher, they make also their own, they make their own rub and they make their own kind of like a marinade. And so they will sell you tri-tip in their marinade. And we bought it for a friend who likes that. I'm. It was obscene, the price. It's like, what are you talking about? So I found tri-tip at stores same in, in the same town. At a reasonable price, but there was something that week that it was like I could fill my car. <laughs> yeah. that right to like I don't buy it no. often, and that's that's the reason why it's you know it's not cheap. Well, it had gone way up. I mean, I was prepared yeah. to pay something, but not that much. So, right, uh, if you get it, if you get it, wait seriously, wait, yes. wait, wait. It, you don't want you have an investment in this meat, so wait half an hour so that all the juice stays in the meat. And then in your tummy. Yeah, um, yeah. actually, there was there's an online meat store that I order from occasionally, and they had a Black Friday sale uh, back a few months ago, and they had a special forty percent off basically on certain meats. And uh, I hope I'm saying this right. Picanha um, is pichana, or I have to I may have to look it up, but it's this very hard to get meat that is popular in South America but it's hard to get here. So I ordered two of them and I'm waiting for like a, a good occasion, like Memorial day coming up or the 4th of July or something uh, to, to make it, but it's supposed to be really tender and you have to pretty much kind of cook it like a tri tip. So I'm, I'm, you know, gearing up for that and making sure that I have the exact right method down to make sure I don't screw up that piece of meat. Right. All right, so give us a few a few pointers, a few tips. So the the home cook is thinking, you know what? I want to I want to up my grilling slash barbecuing game. Now we don't necessarily need Byron's cupcakes for my cupcake chicken thighs, although I want to find out what he did because it sounds interesting. But what some basic tool recommendations? Um, I'm not saying you need to go buy a smoker because that's that's a hefty investment. But if you you know even if you've got your your Weber grill, there's nothing wrong with the Weber grill. 
what what should people think about having? How can people get themselves in the mindset of doing their their summer grilling, barbecuing, and and succeed with the right tools and the right mental um, piece of place of uh, mise en place is what I'm looking for. Well, I think the Weber grill is a good example. I think you can, if you just have the Weber grill, I think you can make that into a smoker. I mean, you can't probably do a brisket, but if, you know, there's the indirect heat method where you have half of the grill, bottom of the half of the grill, um, you know, filled with charcoal, um, you light that, um, you know, put a few lit briquettes on, briquettes on it, uh, put some wood down there, let it smoke, you put the the meat on the cooler side, and, you know, whatever, if you're cooking ribs, if you're cooking brisket, uh, you just fill up the, add more coal to the, to the, the hot side as necessary, um, but I think you you can you can improvise on things like that. Now the Weber Smoky Mountain I got I think is is a twenty two inch. It's really only it's four hundred and thirty six dollars I think I bought it for, which really isn't that much for especially for as much as I use it. It's pretty much paid for itself as far as I'm concerned over the past year. So I don't think you have to invest a lot. It's it's not an offset smoker. It's a very uh, it's a very um, rudimentary kind of smoker you know it's 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 you know charcoal at the bottom the the grills are on the the middle part and the top and it 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 does a great job uh, and you don't have to buy like this whole big expensive kind of reverse the gravity smoker or the h2o smoker or the offset smoker that you see there although i am very interested in getting one of those eventually but i it's just something i don't need right now given my needs uh, so I think you can find a very good smoker, like a, Weber, a used Weber Smoky Mountain or a new one. I don't think they're that expensive and just, you know, have fun with it. And if you, if you have a Weber grill already, try the, um, try the indirect heat method of smoking and, uh, get some, get some, uh, flavored wood chunks, you know, experiment with the different kinds of flavors that that offers, um, but I think, you know, you can start, you can start pretty easily. Um, propane grills, you kind of got a problem because they do sell those chambers where you can put, you know, smoking chips in there. Um, I've tried that. I have a, actually have a propane grill and it doesn't work that great. I mean, you have to, I'm very conscious of, of my, the amount of propane I use and you have to use a lot of propane for the for the smoke chamber to really get going and to um, produce the effect that you're looking for on your meat. So it's it's not something I'd recommend, but I think if you've got a regular charcoal grill, then you're you're starting from a good place. You can do the indirect heat method. You can, you can try smoking on that one to for, to start with, and then if you're ready to move up to the Weber Smoky Mountain or uh, something a little more advanced, I think. Uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta feel your way through it and see if uh, smoking's the, the way to go for you. A lot of people don't have the patience for it, so it's it's really hard to say. Well, it it is it does it does change the timeline of when to start and when you eat. It does everything is okay. different about it, and that's that is one consideration. Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his tasting anarchy podcast. 
Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. All right, I'm going to move into a little short answer, short question part of the show, just because it's kind of a fun part of fun part of the show. Of the five flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, or umami, which one do you prefer the most? I prefer salty. I'm a What's savory. My favorite food. Well, I, you can always, I, sure. love, I love a good ribeye. I love a good New York strip. I'm a big red meat fan, so um, anytime I can get just a regular good thick steak um, and I can just throw salt and pepper on it, I'm a happy camper. What's your least favorite food? Anything that grows out of the earth. Basically, any kind of plant life. Um, I hate broccoli. I hate cauliflower. Root vegetables like carrots. Ugh. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically a carnivore, and uh, I eat the vegetables just because you have to uh, in order to be a healthy human being. So it's uh, it's not something I enjoy. It's it's if we're talking about enjoyment, vegetables are at the bottom of my list as far as as far as enjoyment. What gets you excited? What I'm sorry, say that again. What gets you excited? Oh, uh, I would have to say when I have something that I, it's not practical for me to cook very often. And if that's, that means like a pork butt, um, or a brisket, you know, well, especially, you know, around here we can get the brisket flats. That's really easy to get, but to get the, the full brisket, the packer brisket with the, the flat and the point on it, um, I, it's very rare. I do have one in my freezer down in the basement, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the right moment, to, the right occasion to cook that. Um, but it's that gets me excited, where I can take a really good quality piece of meat and you know treat it as it should be treated, and try to bring out the best expression of it. Uh, one thing that is really exciting me at this point is you know taking that Packer brisket. And for the first time, doing the brisket burnt ends for the first time. Mm. Um, I'm really looking forward to see how I do with that. What turns you off? Um, lately, it's it's the idea of fast food. You know, I enjoy, you know, the occasional, I, I probably eat fast food once or twice a year. Now, I used to eat it all the time when I was in my 20s and my early 30s when I lived by myself. And I just needed something to to sustain me. Um, I think that when you're order when you looking when you're seeking out cheap, disgusting, fattening, bad for your health food, <clears throat> excuse me, rather than taking the time to really get something that's good quality and to try and impart the best flavors on it, the best flavors you could possibly get, so that you can really sit down with something that you created that you enjoy um, 
going, I mean, going out to a good restaurant is one thing, but I think like swinging by a Wendy's and getting a spicy chicken sandwich, the idea that, especially in the last 10 years or so, has really turned me off. I, I, I think people deserve better than, than that kind of food. And I think not a lot of people uh, really take the time to understand what they could do themselves, that they can enjoy just as much as they love that Big Mac or that, that fried chicken sandwich. And for, you know, the benefits of a healthier lifestyle, the benefits of, you know, accomplishing something yourself that you, that you created, that you made, and that tastes awesome, I think you're really cheating yourself if you're not doing that more often. What sound do you love? I love the sizzle of a steak in a cast iron grill. What sound do you hate? Hmm. That is a good one. Um, I probably hate the sound of somebody who bites into something that I cooked and just kind of like goes, mm, you know, doesn't doesn't really give me a good thumbs up or like, a, oh, my God, this is to die for. This is delicious. Um, I really I really love to hear people enjoy what I made for them. And if they don't kind of give me that good positive feedback, that's that's disheartening. What's your favorite food indulgence? Hmm. Okay, if we're talking, you know, I don't give a sh I don't give a shit and I don't give a shit what it does to my health. Uh, I would have to say probably a hot fudge sundae. Good answers. Um, have you tried ostrich or antelope? No, I haven't. Uh, I have really not tried had the opportunity to try any kind of gamey meats like venison or bison or, or anything like that. But I'm really interested. I do see bison burger sometimes on the menu and I just, I'm not sure if I'm going to like it. Like I, the way I've always discovered whether I like food or not is somebody else orders something right. that I've never tried before. And I think, you know, can I get a piece of that? And I figure out if I like it or not. So, you know, one day I'm probably going to, you know, take the plunge and order the bison burger myself and, you, you know, you, you, you won't even know the difference. You won't even, it's, it tastes like beefy beef, yeah. but ostrich is fascinating. It's fantastic. Yeah. I don't know how it would do well, the, uh, in the smoker. They have ostrich burgers, am I right? Yeah, but don't get the burger. Buy the I mean, buy a steak. It's fantastic, okay. but don't cook okay. it. Cook it only mid-rare. Great okay. stuff. So something is big as the idea of smoking and barbecuing and grilling probably has a book or two recommendations do you is there something that you say or you would recommend for people who want to learn more about how to get into and get the most out of their summer of smoking is there a book recommendation you can think of well i think if you go on amazon you can you can find any of of myron mixon's book um, that again, that's more competition style from what I understand. Um, I have a few books. One of them is called smoking meat that I go to a lot. Um, it has a recipe in there for meatloaf, smoked meatloaf that has become a huge hit in this, in my house. Uh, every time I make it, like people just basically kiss my feet because I made it and it's, it's so moist. It's so flavorful. 
Um, but I am looking at a um, at one book that I have on my shelf called Pitmaster. And what I like about that is it's not just recipes. It has it has some recipes in there, but it has the stories of all these different uh, pitmasters, and they all have different styles. Like ones from Texas, ones from Kansas City, ones from Carolina, North Carolina. Um, so they all have their different styles, and they talk about you know their their own stories of getting into barbecue and why they like their particular style of barbecue. Um, so I think if you're looking for something that really gives you a window into why people are so passionate about that kind of culinary um, category, that I think that that book, Pitmaster, is a really good one to, uh, to pick up and, and flip through. Awesome. All right. Well, I will put those on the the um, lost my word the show notes page, which okay. today will be culinarylibertarian.com dot com slash one thirty eight, and that's going to do it. John, thank you for your time. I appreciate the uh, accommodation. Can I do a plug? Of course. Uh, my website winewithbarbecue.com dot com is my blog. And that you can keep up with all the things that I'm cooking on the weekends. And, uh, you know, follow my follow my Facebook page and my Instagram, Wine with Barbecue. I will put those on the show notes page as well. And that is a great idea. I've seen that. And because, you know, everyone thinks beer. But wine, this is wine. interesting. So there's, there's, there's been beer menu pairings, which have been untraditional to beer accompaniments. Mm-hmm. So wine with barbecue makes perfect sense. I, I'm all for it. I agree. Genius There's idea. so many options as far uh, depending on the the kind of style of barbecue you're eating at the, at any given moment. I think it's it's a really good um, exploration into the different uh, kinds of styles and the different um, pairings, the different combinations you can put together. Oh, absolutely! Tons and tons of things. All right. Well, have a great afternoon. Well, let's see. It's evening for you. But uh, thanks for a lot. It is naming for you. Well, again, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, folks, that's going to do it. The Keto Barbecue book is on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 138. Shop wine selections for summer sangria or barbecue pairings with my affiliate, California Wine Club. Click through to see how California Wine Club has become the internet's best wine club. Use this link, culinarylibertarian.com slash main to shop their impressive selection. Please share this episode on your social media feeds and like it when you see it. Also, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. If you like the show, I would appreciate your support at culinarylibertarian.com slash support. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.